Welcome to GodPod. This is a podcast from St. Paul's Theological Centre based in Holy Trinity Brompton here in London. Jane Williams, Mike Lloyd and the occasional guest join me, Graham Tomlin, in discussing God, life, theology, the Bible, in fact, just about everything. Well, hello and welcome to GodPod 59. And uh, today we have uh, the usual home team, which oh. is Michael. Hello. And Jane. Hello. And myself, uh, Graham Tomlin. So um, uh, just us, no visitors today. And uh, we are sitting in our studio with our cups of tea. Is that the sound of lots of listeners switching, switching off? Switching off. <laughs> <laughs> Disappointment. <laughs> that sweeps the Godpod community. <laughs> but um, nonetheless, we will enjoy ourselves by talking about some uh, very interesting things. And we've had some few had a few uh, very good um, emails that have been sent through about all kinds of different uh, questions. As always, we don't get a chance to answer all of them. But there are a few that, um, in fact, today we actually went through quite a few that we thought were very interesting, but we'll have to postpone some of them till next time. But we do we hope to get on to some more of them. We've had some fantastic questions. Exactly. So, um, well, without any more ado, we will, we'll get straight into the first one, which is, um, it came through two or three different um, emails, which uh, are all to do with the area of the the paranormal and the um, the psychic and uh, one was, was um, from someone called Claire, who uh, says, I recently found out that an acquaintance is a psychic. And um, I know you've covered evil at great length, <laughs> as we always though. do, like <laughs> being around. Um, but other than fleeing the devil, how should Christians approach psychics? In some ways, they have more in common with Christians than agnostics or, agnostics or atheists, as they would call themselves spiritual and recognize another dimension in life. But, and uh, so do you have any thoughts on the paranormal you could share? Do you believe in spirits, ghosts, poltergeists, and whatever? And uh, then there was another question on a similar lines that talked about how, um, how Christians might sometimes have words of knowledge. Um, how does that relate to... Um, the magicians, illusionists, psychics, people who have a sort of spiritual insight that's beyond the natural, the normal. Uh, are they to be seen as um, something from God or are they simply psychological phenomena or how do we understand that whole area? So um, that's our question to begin with. So, Michael Jane, I don't know which one are you going to start. I'm relying on one of you to say something. Um, <laughs> you can always rely on Mike to say something. Well, I mean, I, I think start by agreeing with the questioner about uh, the fact that there's a sense in which there's an acceptance uh, in, in people who are involved in this area or that there is something more than a materialist w would allow. Uh, that there is an acceptance that there is a spiritual realm, there is a spiritual dimension, there's reality to that. Um, and um, the, the problem is the, the engagement with it in ways that we might consider uh, illegitimate. Um, but there is a, a genuine recognition there of something, something more, which people seem to, um, mm. seem to need in some way, I think. Mm. I think part of the problem is what counts as normal, isn't it? That I, I mean, I do suspect that um, human beings have greater capacity for picking up on things about each other, sensing things about each other, being sensitive to things about each other that most of us block off most of the time because otherwise it would be 
too exhausting. So, I mean, I would love to unpack with Claire what she means, what her friend the psychic actually does, whether it's more mm. than mm. just being a really deeply sensitive, empathetic person who's um, worked on those skills and developed them so that she can see things about about people that, that aren't immediately obvious to mm. others. Because that's just a human skill, isn't mm. it, that mm. actually many of us um, could work on. Um, and I think most of us who've you know, been praying deeply with somebody can sometimes suddenly pick up something that you... You're not sure where it comes from. A bit like Mike's phone that's going, going off right <laughs> well, now. It's one thing. Is it, you it's, just switched it off. I, I, it says silent on the front, and then it does that. Don't believe it's modern it technology for you. Yeah. Sorry, Jane. <laughs> interrupted your my wonderful very train of thought. thoughts. Um, yes. Yeah, so, the, so when you've been praying with somebody or spent some time in silence with somebody, you you mm. can pick up on something that you. Hmm. You've got no idea where it came from. So that there are things hmm. that I would actually consider to be within the range of normal hmm. human activity that we just don't exercise very often. Uh, yes, I remember, and there's someone I know who was once described as a like a sort of spiritual lightning conductor. Um, and there was someone who had a very strong, what you might call prophetic gifts. They were the kind of person to whom, you know, it, and there was a meeting where there was a time of silence and waiting on God. This person would often have words or, or um, ideas or pictures would come to them, which were very apposite and very kind of real and often applied very, very strongly to people in, in the room. And uh, and it seemed that, you know, she was someone who picked up on those things more than others do. I mean, I, I'm not that kind of person. I don't tend to get those things very often, I do occasionally, but not terribly often and there but, is maybe something to do with the way we're made maybe a particular spiritual gifting whether it's a spiritual gift or a natural gift it might mm. be another area of debate but it does seem to me there are certain people who who can pick up on that dimension of uh, of life more than others do don't know what you but, think i mean i i, I think I, I do agree with that but it's very interesting to look for example at jesus jesus um jesus's miracles and jesus's um, interaction with people isn't because he's supernatural, but because he's completely mm. human. Mm. Um, mm. So he, he the, the gospels tell us that those miracles and things are not signs of his divinity; yeah. they're signs of his obedience to the Father. Mm. Mm. Um, so that I think this distinction between mm. natural and supernatural is one of the things that I want to put some question marks. Yeah. Over. I, I, I think I, I agree with that, and I think I suppose the, the way I think about it is that there is a whole. I think there is a whole dimension of creation which goes under certain names. Yes. I mean, you might call it the paranormal, if you like. You might call it the spiritual or you might whatever you call it. It's that realm that we do not see um, that is not necessarily accessible to kind of logical um, thinking that's not necessarily accessible by the normal, the five senses that we, that we normally use to perceive reality. And yet, it seems to me, it's it's just as much a part of creation as any other. But that can be used and accessed in quite positive, helpful, constructive ways. It can also be accessed in unhelpful, destructive ways, mm. as can any other part of creation. It's part of our interconnectedness, in a sense, with yeah. one another and with the and with the natural order. Yeah, that's right. It seems to me like it's a bit like you know, you might think of something like music, for example. You know, music is something that can be accessed and used in a way that is beautiful and enriching and, and strong it can also be used in a very kind of destructive quite 
um, quite aggressive, angry way. And, and that's that's one of the things we do as human beings. We, we, we take good gifts and we abuse them and we make them damaging. Um, but the gift is there. It's a good thing in itself. The key thing is how that's used. And so therefore it seems to me that that, that whole dimension of the spiritual, the paranormal, what you might call call it in some ways is 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 a dimension of creation the question is how we use it how we access it whether it's something that destroys or gives life and and, and the new testament talks about that very thing in in kind of mythological language about um battles going on in the heavenly realms the, the, the heavenly realms are not just about good good forces there's actually an interplay yeah. a sure. conflict between good good forces and evil forces and yeah. that's so, almost what you're saying that there is this sphere that can be used for good or for ill yeah and that 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 battle is going on at all realms of creation in a oh. sense so so then the question is how do we as christians um relate to and and um uh discuss with people who have those mm. exercise those gifts but are not exercising them in obedience to the father mm. um and I, I think I probably wouldn't, would want to say that sometimes people need to lay those gifts down because they've mm. become um, fascinating, they've become sources of power, mm. um, they've become things that are not actually um, helpful. Rather, rather like the, the woman in, in Acts who had a prophetic gift <laughs> and yet um, Paul actually exorcises yes. it. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And of course, you know, those those prophetic gifts and that spiritual insight and so on. It's not only outside the church that they can be used in a damaging way. Sometimes they can be used in a yes. damaging and quite, quite oppressive, um, controlling way within church as well. And so there's a there's a dimension there that needs to be. I, I think there are a number of, of telltale signs of when the thing's going wrong, um, of, of which obviously oppression, manipulation, mm. control is is one. Um, I think a kind of deterministic. This is the future is is going to be this, and there's no, mm. nothing you can do about it. Whereas the Bible seems to me to have a much more uh, open view of of mm. the future that it depends upon how we respond, how we behave, how we act, what we choose. Mm. Um, so I think a, a deterministic sense of the future is is one of the signs of of mm. some of things going wrong in this area, and a kind of magical way of thinking that you can get what you want by controlling. Mm nature by controlling by saying the right words by whatever that kind of magical view is i think quite infantilizing as well yeah and for what purposes is it used That's is it used yeah. you know who's basically to whose glory does it count in the end is it mine or is it mm. the glory of god and that which is one of the key questions there we get going back to this i think this interesting issue you raised jane which is the natural supernatural divide i think I think I, I, I suppose my feeling on that is that, that I think there is a distinction to be made there between natural and and supernatural. We're talking about this dimension of life which goes beyond what we can normally touch and feel and and smell and see. Um, so there is a, if you like, a sort of supernatural spiritual dimension. I think where it goes wrong is where that gets seen as somehow better mm. or or sort of you know over the natural and that's maybe where the language doesn't really help because mm. supernatural implies that it's super it's above it's even better than the natural mm -hmm. and that's what i think is the problem that then we we get dissatisfied with the natural the ordinary 
And we think that God isn't involved in those where he is involved in the supernatural stuff. And we get terribly excited about all the supernatural stuff. And we think the natural is all rather boring and dull and, and, and God isn't involved in it. And I think I want to, but yet you can go to the other extreme by saying, well, we don't really believe in the supernatural yes, thing exactly. at all. We only believe in the natural. Mm-hmm. And I think I want to say, well, both natural and supernatural are both part of creation. They're both equally good. They also can be both equally abused. And therefore, a proper Christian spirituality engages with both and sees God in both. Sees God in both the natural, ordinary, dull bits of life, but also in the in the the spectacular, the prophetic, the the more kind of dynamic gifts that, of the spirit that we sometimes see. And and as it's not always going to be easy to know which is which, and mm. partly as um, scientific knowledge advances. Um, some things that we currently can't explain may become explicable yeah. in, in natural terms. I mean, I suppose I tend to think, you know, one of the questions um, posed in the email was, um, what do you think about um, poltergeists and, and, and uh, mm. ghosts and ghosts and that kind of thing? I suppose I, I tend to think that when people think that they see ghosts, they're not seeing nothing. Yeah. But I don't, I'm not convinced it's a disembodied spirit. I, I think it may be there's a place retains some kind of memory and plays yeah. it back um now that may be purely not supernatural at all it may be just mm. what happens when trauma happens in a particular place it imprints itself in some mm. way uh, on the bricks but on if the that slope. gets to seem more exciting than the neighbor in need of your care and attention yeah. then we're in serious trouble yeah. yes yeah. yes exactly yes yes, yeah. yes. it's very interesting i remember when my when i first got ordained one of my first jobs about two days after i was ordained was uh, we got a phone call from this local um, group of builders on a building site who'd had all kinds of slightly spooky experiences, you know, of, um, people, you know, sort of being sort of touched on the on the on the back while they were in the sort of dark cave and there's no one there and sort of hearing voices in the background and and very very strange. And it turned out that the place where they were working was a was the site of a um where many people in the city where we were 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 buried during the black death and and um all kinds of things came out which is a very interesting thing and they they were ordinary kind of working guys not who didn't not, know about the history beforehand didn't know anything about the history yeah. and they were certainly not sort of new age sort of very sort of uh, uh, sensitive to these things <laughs> at all these were kind of ordinary sort of yorkshire builders um and uh, the vicar and I were called in thing you know well come on you know do your stuff. Do your stuff. <laughs> and uh, we think, oh, gosh, what do we do now? And we simply went down to, to pray in the different places where these things had happened. And remarkably, actually, they they ran back a week later and said, actually, it's all gone. It's all fine. And I suppose I've often pondered about that experience and think, well, you know, ghosts, disembodied voices, what do I make of that as a as a Christian, you know, the Bermuda Triangle, all those kind of things. And But maybe what you're saying, Mike, helps to make some sense of that well it's interesting how i mean in the old testament you you have to do where there's a murder being committed you have to do a sacrifice almost to heal the ground mm-hmm. um and i wonder whether there's a sense that place retains a memory of what's happened yeah. um and people always sense say you know when you go to Auschwitz, you you sense something about the place and similarly when you go to a place that's been prayed in mm-hmm. o- over the centuries you sense yeah. something what happens what we do impacts on us, it impacts on one another, it impacts yeah. on the natural order, but it may also impact upon the physical world in some way, for better and for worse. So the word you used earlier was interconnectedness, yeah. wasn't it? Yes. Yeah. That is yes. quite a helpful one. Isn't Which it? would make sense if we are not separate from 
the earth upon mm. which we live. We are part of it. We're part made, of creation. Made from it. Yeah. That's, there's that um, wonderful, striking bit in Genesis, isn't there, when, um, at the murder of Abel, when the ground cries mm. out. Yes. Because the yeah. ground knows it shouldn't be receiving this blood. Mm. And, and Jesus talks about you know, the very stones yeah. crying yeah. out if these people don't. don't that there's, there is a responsiveness. Yeah. It's not a, not mm. a consciousness, but a, but a responsiveness yeah. of the natural order to And that at the death the of Christ, world. there's an earthquake. Yes. You know, the earth shakes, literally. Yes. Um, so all those, that sort of sense of interconnectedness is there. Mm. Um, yeah, well, that's very interesting. A really interesting question. Yes. Yeah, that was a very interesting question. So uh, thank you, Claire, and also to, um, uh, who else was it? Oh, Elizabeth, Elizabeth Sherwin, who also sent, um, Lizzie Sherwin sent a, sent, uh, a question in about that that too. So um, there are some thoughts anyway, for what they're worth, <laughs> on, the, on the paranormal. And, um, Just as well, you don't have to pay to download the Godpod. It's going to remain free. <laughs> We're not charging. Um, so to, to move on to another one, um, and uh, this is a question which um, came from um, Mike Keane. And we do like Mike Keane, it has to be said, because he says, uh, thank you for your podcast. I jump with excitement when I see it arrive in my iTunes. Yes, I really do. Wow. Uh, yes, we do. We do like him, definitely. <laughs> we're easily yeah. pleased. But yes, exactly. We're very easily pleased. <laughs> so, um, Michael, I hope you're jumping with excitement as you, as you uh, hear this. But um, again, a very interesting question from um, from Mike here, which is about the, he says, I've been thinking about the forgive, about forgiveness and the difference between forgiveness and reconciliation. Now, we know that we should always forgive those who've hurt us, but is reconciliation always a must? For example, how does that work out in a serious situation like sexual abuse? Indeed, are we even always required to forgive when the person admits no wrong? Is there a difference between having a forgiving spirit and the actuality of forgiveness in a particular situation? God holds out forgiveness to us, but isn't that dependent upon repentance on our part? When Jesus prayed on the cross, Father, forgive them, were they automatically forgiven? Or is it possible that they were not forgiven because they did not repent of what they did? So there's a whole series of questions around mm. there about forgiveness, reconciliation, repentance. And um be quite interesting to tease some of those out. And they're really important questions because um, it can often be done in a way that makes the person who has already been abused, hurt, um, mistreated, then feel guilty because they, they're they told they have to forgive um, without any... Without, Complication. Yes, yep. exactly. Uh, and that really can't be helpful, can it? I, kn I know people who have stopped going to church yes. because they have found the relentless you must be reconciled message mm. just heaped guilt upon them and and that's tragic and was just unrealistic to to the situation yes so i guess what from what we're saying so far even in the early stages of this discussion <laughs> is that we're saying there is quite a difference between forgiveness and reconciliation yes absolutely and we want to draw a bit of a line between them that they're not the same thing and that um they're almost two stages or two parts of what happens. But it may be that in some circumstances, forgiveness is necessary, but reconciliation isn't. Is that what we're saying? I think, I think that is what I, what I would want to say. Um, it, that certainly with, within this life, hmm. um, it may not be possible and it may not be appropriate. It may not be right for reconciliation to take place, but it's always appropriate to work towards forgiveness um i think however i do think that they are related concepts uh, and that's why i say in this life it may not 
would be possible or appropriate or right to lead to reconciliation. But I think it's it's a, a possible position to have to say, um, I, I forgive you. I'm not prepared to meet up with you again in this life. Not until you and I have been completely transformed. <laughs> you of what you've the tendencies that made you do what you did and me the hurts that it had made upon me so in that situation mike what does the word forgiveness mean um what are we saying that 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 when if i say to somebody i forgive you but i can't be reconciled with you what have what has happened in this word forgiveness well what what i would say is that it's a way of saying i don't want what you did forever to make impossible a relationship between us, not forever. It may for this life, mm. realistically, um, but but not forever. And that's a way of holding forgiveness and reconciliation together, but being realistic to um, the the fact that that's that's just not appropriate mm. in in a lot of cases. I actually found um, that book, The Shack, really quite helpful in this whole area. Because one of the things being said in in that book was that one of the, the sort of factors being brought into the story of of such a, a situation was what happens between God and the abuser. Right. Um, so that it seems to me that part of what's happening in forgiveness, if you're a Christian, um, is that you're saying there is more to this story than I know. Mm-hmm. And I will begin, you know, take steps towards beginning to trust God to sort out the bits that I don't know. Uh-huh. And I think the reason why that's such an important thing to do for the person who is trying to do the forgiving is that it actually frees you from the bondage, yes. doesn't it, yes. of being defined by the person who has been harmed, abused, hurt uh-huh. Uh-huh. Um, by this unforgiving, unforgiven sin. I think that's right. And I think an- another part of what you're saying when you say I forgive you is... Um, I'm not going to allow what you did to me to make me hate you. Yes, exactly. To make mm. me want ill for you. I'm not going to let that in- induce in me a like reaction. And that's an important thing to say because it's an immensely powerful thing to say, isn't it? It's actually saying, I will not give you this much more power yes. over me. Yes. Yeah. Yes. I mean, forgiveness, I think, is a, is a sense of a sort of letting go of something, isn't it? Forgiveness. It's, it's there in the Greek term, I think, isn't it? There's this sense of, of you know, that when you forgive someone, you let go of something, you let go of both the hold they have on you and you let go of the sense of grievance, the sense of um, uh, something that holds you in captive. And I think if, um, you know, when you forgive someone, it's that sense of releasing them and releasing whatever is in your own mind that sense of um um of, of anguish of um of a grudge injury sense of injury. so it's something that you yeah. do to yourself as well as to someone else it seems to me which is why forgiveness is so well if forgiveness is such a, a liberating thing because it's actually freeing yourself from holding on to this very thing because unforgiveness, holding a grudge, being bitter, is an immensely destructive thing, and forgiveness is something that releases us from that. And so it seems that there's there's a kind of internal as well as an external element of forgiveness. Mm-hmm. But it seems to me at the same time that there's a, there's a something about reconciliation that's quite different from that, 
And that it might almost be sometimes that almost for the sake of the other person, it may, in certain circumstances, not be right to be reconciled and to go back to the relationship as it was. Because if the basic patterns of that relationship have not changed, and if the person is still acting in this rather abusive way towards you, all you're doing is actually putting them back in the situation where they're going to do something else that is destructive to you and to them. So almost for their sake, as much as your own, in certain circumstances, it might be right to say, I forgive you, I release you, but that doesn't mean that we need to go back to where we were before. Because it has, I mean, forgiveness can't be the same as saying what was done doesn't matter. Yeah. And I think, um, therefore, that's a really helpful thing, Graham, to, to look at those two different stages. Reconciliation has to be the other person also being willing to change. Yeah. Yeah. I think C.S. Lewis makes the distinction between forgiveness and excusing. Yes. The two are different. Well, yeah. Opposites, actually, in some yeah. ways. Because excusing says, actually, there's nothing to forgive. Yeah. It's, it's all right, it's fine. What you did didn't, didn't matter. I excuse you. There's nothing worth forgiving. Whereas forgiveness says, actually, there is something to be forgiven. There is something deep that's, that's come between us. There's something quite serious that's happened. Yes. And therefore, forgiveness is much harder than, than, than excusing. There, there is a price to be paid in forgiveness in a way that there isn't in, in excusing. And, and, and ordinary language confirms that difference, doesn't it? I mean, if you tread on somebody's toe accidentally in a yeah. crash, you say, oh, excuse me. Yeah. Um, you know, if you thumped somebody deliberately and yeah. then said, excuse me, that doesn't work linguistically. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, it, and it, I think it also helps to begin to imagine why, you know, we have this whole thing, you know, why can't God just forgive us? Mm. Why does he need this? sacrifice of christ and and the cross and and all of that and it seems to me that again this distinction between excusing and forgiveness is important there because we're not just asking god we don't just need god to excuse us he doesn't say it doesn't matter you know sin is really not that important i can just it's all right just i'll let you go actually no something deep has happened between us there is a price that needs to be paid if you excuse me in, in and i guess the other thing is that forgiveness you know if there's a, a deep break in a relationship and something needs to be done to restore it. If there's a price to be paid, either I can make the other person pay, which is revenge, or in some ways I, I bear the cost myself, which is forgiveness. Mm. But there's a there's a cost either way. Yeah, it's so, not a cheap thing. That's why some translations of the Lord prayer, Lord's Prayer talk about forgive us our debts. Yeah, mm. exactly. Uh, there's there's yeah. something that if, if you don't pay it, I, I have to absorb that loss. Exactly, that's yeah. right, yeah. So the cross is something to do with God's saying this matters. Yes. This is not just a simple little thing we can gloss over and say, yeah, it's all right, it doesn't matter. Yeah. So presumably then, when Jesus says, Father, forgive them, what is being said is that everything, that the price has been paid, everything that needs to be done to to, to reconcile that relationship has been done by God. But nonetheless, it is possible that people, um, although forgiven, were not reconciled mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. because they could, in fact, reject that. Yeah. So what does that mean? I mean, just going back to the final part of Mike's question... And Jesus prayed on the cross, Father, forgive them. Were they automatically forgiven, or is it possible they were not forgiven because they didn't repent of what they did? And this was the connection between forgiveness mm. and repentance. Is forgiveness effective where there's no repentance? I think kind of not really, because otherwise it would force somebody into a relationship. Mm. Uh, it's got to be received, mm. and so, it's got to be freely received. So I think you can say that forgiveness was effective. Everything that needs to be done about human sin has been done by oh. God in Christ on oh. the cross. Oh. So in that sense, everything has been done. But the effect um, oh. f- for us is not 
But that um, forgiveness may not have been received. No, exactly. I, it's possible that I may not make that my own. Exactly. Yes. Like that declaration is there that in the cross of Christ, we as a human race have been forgiven. But that has to be applied to each mm. individual life. And it's quite possible for me to refuse to, 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 to let that message take its root in me. And, 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 uh, and in that case, I resist that forgiveness and I kind of keep myself in that place of unforgiveness. And that's my fault, not God's. Yes, because it's there to be received. If, exactly. Yeah. Because the, the point of forgiveness in the end is reconciliation, yes. isn't yeah. it? Yes. Yeah. And that's again so, important to say, I think, isn't it? Because otherwise you can get into the idea that, you know, God forgives some people but not others. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And well, if you're not going to repent, I'm not going to forgive you. That doesn't seem to me the way God works. He does. No, you are forgiven. You are forgiven. Mm -hmm. It's just that you don't. You've, you've got to receive that. Oh, exactly. I, can't, yeah. I can't do that bit for you yeah. because yeah. otherwise that would be forcing himself upon Exactly. Us. Yeah. Uh, is so, it just worth saying, you know, because people really struggle. We all struggle with with forgiveness and, and how you actually do it and mm -hmm. I, I suppose i've only got two kind of minor very small tips and one is i think to pray for the person you may not yet be able to forgive them mm -hmm. but pray for them that actually begins to defuse you of your desire to to hurt back mm -hmm. um and and, mm -hmm. and to want them to suffer for what they've done um so pray for them and secondly secondly i think Draw somehow draw on the reserves of the fact that everything is going to be put right, the putting right of all things. Mm -hmm. Somehow forgiveness does draw now on what's going to be the case mm -hmm. then. Mm -hmm. uh, and things that I couldn't let go of if they're never, ever going to be put right in any way, shape or form, you begin to be able to, once you remember that, um, that there is a, a putting right of all things ahead mm -hmm. of us, uh, and we can let things go now for the sake of what is going to be put right then. And I think that the other thing is to is to just begin to reflect on your own yep. need for forgiveness. Yep. It's much harder to bear a grudge against someone else. If, if you're I, perfect. <laughs> <laughs> I find that. I find quite it easy terribly if you're hard. Perfect. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> but it seems to me that that's part of our problem because we think we're actually, I'm fine. I didn't, I didn't do anything wrong. So why has this person behaved like that towards me? But actually, when I begin to seriously reflect on the ways in which I've offended other people, the ways in which I've offended God, then the more gentle I will be with other people around me and the harder it will be to bear grudges. And so it seems to me that's one of the other things that we do. One of the, one of the reasons for, for, for the discipline of confession, I think, is so that we're better able to forgive, mm. which is why Jesus, you know, Father, you know, we pray in the Lord's Prayer, you know, about... Um, being forgiven as we forgive other people. And see so if there's a connection between God's forgiveness of us and our forgiveness of others, not in the sense that, oh, well, God's saying, I won't forgive you if you don't forgive other people. But unless we reflect on our own need for forgiveness, we actually find it very difficult to forgive other people. And also in my own personal and extremely um, fallen uh, experience, uh, people talk about forgiveness, so you, you do it and it's done. Hmm. But actually hmm. that only happens if it's a very minor fault yeah. but actually anything serious is a lifetime's work you have to keep forgetting keep, keep yeah. doing yeah. it yeah yeah yeah, yeah. like the layers of a proverbial onion yeah yeah, yeah. makes you cry makes you cry <laughs> <laughs> i was just thinking the same thing <laughs> fabulous image yeah <laughs> and it is something deeply christian as well i think i was reading some while ago the um that's uh, extraordinary but by primo levy the um uh, i think it's called if this be a man it's his reflection survivor of course 
and his experience in the, the death camps. And he was asked this question in a kind of question and answer session that's relayed at the end of the book. You know, have you forgiven your tormentors? And uh, he says, he's not a Christian, and uh, he says, uh, no, I haven't. He says, actually, you know, that idea that you should forgive those, even those who have not repented and haven't admitted their crime, that's a very Christian idea, and I don't go along with it. Mm. Now, you know, enormous respect for Primo Levi. He's been through massively more than any of us have ever done, and so it's a book of extraordinary insight and, and, um, and, and, and wisdom. But it just did strike me in reading that, actually. He's, absolutely, he's, he's right. It is a very distinctively Christian mm. thing to do that mm. comes from this moment on the cross where Jesus says, Father, forgive them, even though they don't know what they're doing, when they haven't asked for, for, for forgiveness, mm. they haven't repented. Yes. Anyway, there is some, some more thoughts on um, forgiveness and reconciliation, but a great question, Mike. Thank you very much for this. And uh, we've got one more time for one more, I think, um, which is uh, one from... Uh, David Brett, who he lives in uh, Witham or Whiteham in Essex. Do you know what that is? Witham, Whiteham, ever been there? Been to Essex. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah we've all been to Essex. No, we may not have been to this place. Anyway, um, the question is about death. Uh, Mike, you're the expert on death. Oh, so yes. we um, expect you to come up with something good on this. <laughs> so uh, says, the Bible seems to take a very clear view that death is a bad thing. It's the last enemy that we're meant to live forever, etc., etc. Seems obvious to me, however, that death is a very necessary part of creation. In the physical world, the very creation of soil and the fertility of the land absolutely depends on a cycle of life, death, and regeneration. For the animals, car carnivores would be an impossible concept. In human terms, the command to multiply would have meant an impossibly overcrowded world long ago. Do you see my dilemma? Am I missing something here? Your any thoughts would be very welcome. So death. Death, indeed. Mm. Um, well, I mean, I, I do agree, really, with, with um, the question. I think there is a, a fundamental c contradiction there. Um, what we see in the world around us, in the natural order, in the competitive, predatory um, relationships between lots of, uh, of animals and bits of the created order, does seem to be... Uh, very, very different, you know, or sharply different from what um, the Bible teaches us about death, and indeed, the whole, you know, the cross in particular seems to be about one person giving up his life that others might live, whereas the natural order seems to be about having to kill something else that you might live, you yourself might live. Uh, it seems to be a hundred and eighty degree contradiction. Um, the question is, of course whether the world, the way the world is is the way it was intended to be um and uh, for for a number of reasons i don't personally think it is i don't think um that the way the world is is the way god intended it uh, god doesn't always get his way we know that because people sin um now the question then is how did it get the way that it is um and there's a number of different answers that people give to that um, somebody people believe that uh, the natural laws are partly what we were talking about earlier that there's kind of responsiveness uh, of nature um, gives them a degree of gives even th things and animals a degree of freedom um, such that they if it's gone wrong it's because they've chosen to go wrong i don't myself i can't make sense of the idea of molecules making decisions uh, being moral agents um, 
And so I personally draw on the, the tradition of the Christian Jewish tradition of the fall of the angels and suggest that even long before human beings emerged, um, something had already gone wrong within the created world, that that uh, dislocated the whole creative process and made, meant that it was no longer the harmonious, um, loving thing that it was intended to be, but became divisive and cruel and, 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 and threatened. So when it says in Genesis about be fruitful and multiply, and when it says that there are trees with fruit bearing seeds, which suggests a whole cyclical thing, that's already reflecting something that's gone wrong. I think, so, I think that's already, yes, things have already gone wrong. It seems to me that there are bits, even in the Genesis story in Genesis 1 and 2, that suggest things have already gone wrong. There's, or, um, for instance, the, the command to fill the earth and subdue it which suggests that there's already something that needs to be subdued, that needs to be put right, that things are not absolutely perfect as yet. But but in other forums, Mike, I've heard you resisting deeply the idea that reality is actually timeless and unchanging. But is is that not the logical conclusion of what you're saying, that the, the God's original reality was indeed timeless and unchanging without movement and cycle and... I think I think I've suggested that. Well, I mean, you could see God as being unchanging, if you wish. And I know Which you, I do. And I do, you do. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, but you can have change and variety. I would have thought without death. Certainly, that's the vision of the new creation in in Revelation that you get, um, you know, twelve harvests a year or whatever. Um, and yet the tree of life is there. Death is no more, crying is no more, suffering, sorrow is no more. Um, so I, I remain to be persuaded that it's impossible to have change, variety, diversity, fruitfulness, plenty without um, death. Now, what it would look like, I, I can't imagine. And I don't think any of us can because we've never experienced anything else. But that, but our own, the limits of our own imagination shouldn't necessarily be the limits of what could be. Is it, is it possible then to think about a good death? Because I guess some... That's been the way I've always thought about this. And um, you probably thought about this more than I have, Mike, so I stand <laughs> to be corrected. But um, if you like, when, when the scriptures talk about death, there are sort of two subtly different things being talked about. One is... is um, death as part of the sort of natural process by which uh, life as we know it now comes to an end and if you like transitions into what will one day be the new creation, which was a natural, easy, not particularly scary process, but a good thing. Uh, and death as we know it now, which is a slightly terrifying, um, deeply scary and uh, ominous thing that threatens to take away all that we love and value and Not so very on so meaning yes so so given those two things death as we experience it now is bound up with this sense of the other things that go with death in the scriptures you know sin and evil and uh, and so on um but is it possible to rescue from that sort of rather terrifying image of death um uh, a sense of a good death which is a which is a, a right and proper transition from one form of being to another, which uh, in the intent in the, in the original creation was 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 there. I mean, death for us is a bad word. Mm -hmm. Might it have been that without the fall, death its death would 
could be even a good word. It's a sort of transition word. Well, a number of theologians have have suggested that. Um, You're about to say it's wrong, aren't you? <laughs> I, I personally um, have problems with it because what are we transitioning to? Why are we transitioning away from this created order that God made and for which he made us? It seems to me only if you have a kind of view of we actually belong in heaven rather than here, um, which for various reasons mm-hmm. <laughs> I don't I don't like. No, no, I um, don't otherwise, there's nothing they need to transcend, you know, be transported to anything else. This is our world. This is the world God made us to be part of. Um, why would we need to transition? Mm. Um, and secondly, it's 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 quite an individualistic thing. Uh, I I die in order to transition myself mm. uh, to this other realm. Well, isn't the whole point of our existence that we are corporate social beings uh, made for relationship but isn't isn't um, i mean the transition might it not be between our createdness you think of the story of adam and eve human beings created and think of that before the fall mm-hmm. and then you think of resurrection the resurrection body of christ now unless we think originally before the fall humans had resurrection bodies Presumably, there's some transition that needs to take place between one and the other. I suppose that's what I have in mind. Not not from a a sort of, you know, I, I quite agree with you. You don't want to get a move from a sort of bad physical to a sort of good spiritual state. But um, I suppose I, I, I still think there seems to be a just, just difference between the resurrection body of Christ, which is our destiny, resurrection, and the original creation. Yes, I mean, I think I think creation is intended to be. Um, flooded with the presence of and the glory of god um and that that is kind of what happens mm. um at the general resurrection at the putting right of all things or mm. whatever mm. um i don't see why that necessarily involves separation from others and and, mm. and this is part of the thing it, this, there seems to be about death a rupture of relationship and given that that's what mm. we're made for we're made for a relationship mm. I, I still have a problem with why it would do that why it needs to do that um, and, I suppose I would still say that's part of the sort of bad death as opposed to good death. That um, good death doesn't doesn't necessarily wouldn't necessarily mean that. Okay. Um, well, then it becomes something so different as to make one wonder whether the, word, the same word should be used. Yeah. But for each the, the limits of our speech shouldn't limit no. what. <laughs> no, no. And then we're back to saying. Well, I think no, you know. I, I find it hard to imagine what a yeah. good death is, just as you were saying earlier on, mm-hmm. but. Um, within... Jane, we need you to referee this one. Well, look, I, 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 except I'm going to say something completely different, and because I'm <laughs> I, I, just well. transcending all this. Exactly. Indeed, um, but within the limits of our fallen understanding of life and death, there are still good deaths, aren't there? There are people who are mm. um, ready to make the transition, ready to, um, to 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 move on, who trust in God, who who are satisfied that they've done the best they could with their mm. lives and their relationships, mm. and to to be a witness of such a death is actually a profoundly mm. uplifting experience isn't it yeah. i think that's right although also a sad one i mean you know uh, there's a sense of loss as well yeah. the relationship yes. has yes. been guillotined and yes. you can't now ask them questions you can't now hear their thoughts and their comments and that's their right. memories. I, I, I think i agree with that and that you know however good a death can can be and there are better deaths than some yeah. are better than others there's always that element of sadness and with death as we know it now as we know it, i guess the the question is it's a bit like that. Um, it's, 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 it's the um, that hymn, isn't it? You know that um, uh, that talks about you know thou kind and gentle death, 
Yes, there's some Francis. This is Francis. That then yeah, sort of th- even thinks of death as praising God. Mm. Yes, which I find a fascinating little mm. sort of um, idea. The idea that even death might praise God, which I think is, is a point in my argument, which is to say that even death might yes, be something. You get a little bit of St. Francis on an off day in your camp. <laughs> <laughs> I'll just make do with the scriptures. Um, <laughs> uh, <touché>. 15 all. <laughs> but I, but no, I, do, I do agree with, with you, Jane, that, that um, there is the concept of, of, of within the fallen structures um, and the fact that death isn't even what it might perhaps maybe mm. if Graham's right <laughs> once possibly could have been um and, and you know, it could it could be done very well and in a way that's ennobling and, and, and uplifting um and in fact about a, a third of um sermons in Wesley's day were about dying well mm. and we're now I've, I've never heard a sermon no. on dying well and I, I think that that probably is yeah. a, is a we could just correct a little bit on that, I think. And there's a prayer in the Book of Common Prayer, isn't it, that the prayers to be delivered from sudden death. Yes. Which is kind of odd because we now mm. quite like the idea of a sudden death, you know, take me quickly without, I don't have to think about it. But actually that idea of wanting to prepare yourself mm. to be yes. ready. Yes. And to prepare the people that you love. So in a way yeah. that, that is a... A more relational prayer. It is. It? it is. Well, fascinating discussion. Mike, you and I don't think we'll be able to resolve our... <laughs> not no. on the odd pod, anyway. <laughs> no, no, we would not to be switched off the microphone. <laughs> <laughs> Which case, there may need to be some forgiveness. <laughs> <laughs> Jane is the referee. <laughs> but no, fascinating discussion. So, um, uh, as always, thank you to Michael. It's a pleasure. And to Jane. Thank you. And um, that was Godpod 59. So please keep the questions coming in and um, we will do what we can to answer some of them next time around. Thank you very much. Goodbye. Bye. That was GodPod, a podcast from the St. Paul's Theological Centre. If you want to send us a question, just email it to godpod at htb.org.uk. We can't promise to answer all the questions you send in, but we'll certainly try. Until next time, goodbye. Goodbye.